Hi, I'm Laura Zam, and this is Sexual Healing Central, and we are here today with Susan Shapiro, who wrote a fantastic book called The Forgiveness Tour, and we're going to be talking about her book and how we can learn more about forgiveness to help us in our relationships. Welcome, Sue. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Laura. Yeah, so excited to have you here. Sue is my writing mentor, and she's the reason that I was able to publish my own book. So I'm very, very, very thrilled to have you here on the podcast. Sue, can you just tell us a little more about yourself? Well, let's see. Um, I've been a writing teacher for many moons. And and as you mentioned, you took my class. And by the way, I always quote your modern love because it has the greatest first line ever. At 41, I'd never loved anyone who'd love me back. And whenever anybody hands in anything boring, I'm always like, nope, it's you have to, it has to be this good. Yeah. And I'm an author. I say I'm an author of 13 books my family hates. And uh, my first book was actually about relationship, Five Men Who Broke My Heart, where I went back and remet my top five heartbreaks of all time to find out what really happened. And I pinpointed the moment where I myself screwed up each relationship. And The Forgiveness Tour is my new book. And that just came out. I was working on it for 10 years. So I'm excited to have it come out. And um, I'm very happily married to a wonderful fellow writer who's really sick of book events um, and who's, who's one of my favorite characters. What made you write a book about forgiveness? Okay, so after Five Men Who Broke My Heart, which was really about coming to terms with five toxic relationships, I wrote another memoir called Lighting Up, How I Stopped Smoking, Drinking, and Everything Else I Loved in Life Except Sex, which was about giving up five toxic substances. And it told the story of my addiction therapy with a brilliant addiction specialist named Dr. Winters in the book. And he really helped me marry a great guy and help me realize that my smoking and drinking and drug taking was getting in the way of my relationships in my life. And uh, he was at the end of the book, Five Men Who Broke My Heart and Lighting Up were really fun. And they wrote after I was writing for 23 years when they finally sold them, but both of the books sold a random house and they were kind of fast and furious and funny. So I thought when I had this falling out with Dr. Winters and I thought, well, let me write a fun sequel to lighting up, you know, because it's the same character. And it turned out it was just got deeper and darker and weirder and more twisted and I couldn't figure it out. And it basically took 10 years to figure out. So I had a falling out with with him. And uh, at the time, I had been seeing him for 15 years. And he was really like a mentor and a guru who helped me in every way. And so I was kind of lost without him. And I kind of, um, you know, I was afraid I'd relapse. And the big thing that really screwed me up is I'm the type of person that if somebody does something fucked up, but then they apologize to me, I always forgive them. But he couldn't apologize. He couldn't explain and he couldn't apologize. So I just didn't know what to do with someone who was kind and important to me for 15 years, who all of a sudden does something and won't apologize for it. So in trying to write about it, I wound up seeking out other gurus and I went to my rabbis and I went to literal, you know, my, my childhood rabbi and a Israeli rabbi that I'm friends with. And uh, I went to a lot of religious leaders and I went to uh, psychiatrists and other doctors I knew trying to figure out the question, how do you forgive somebody who won't apologize? Cause it just confused me. Um, and then I wound up taking a cross-country forgiveness tour where I interviewed people 
all over. And I asked them the same question, which was, what's the one apology you're owed that you never got? And how do, how do you cope? How do you deal with not getting an apology that you're owed? And, um, and I wound up going to, you know, people with very, very heavy, fascinating, much more complicated stories than mine, including my co-author, Kenan Trebinsevic, who was the survivor of an ethnic cleansing campaign against Bosnian Muslims like himself when he was 12, Holocaust survivor friend, someone who had survived sexual abuse by her father and was trying to forgive her mother for staying with him, um, a trans person who felt that God owed them an apology. Like I just really asked people because I wanted wisdom and I wanted to hear how people, there, there was a man who um, forgave the drunk driver who killed his wife and two children. So it really, it became darker and heavier and, you know, swamis and reverends and priests and rabbis. And, uh, you know, I just really wanted to understand and get to the bottom of it. And it just, it was way more complicated than I ever thought it would be. Well, I'm almost done with the book and it is very dark. There's a lot of a lot of pain in there, but it's also uplifting to see the way that people can transform this pain uh, and so moving, so moving. Thank you. I found each of the stories really moving and illuminating in, in, in their own way. Right. So I interviewed hundreds of people. And when it came time to choose 13 stories, I tried to pick stories that each one would illuminate something new and surprising about how one, if you can't forgive somebody, how one gets over not being able to forgive someone and moves on. So that's how I wanted, I definitely wanted, you know, a, a diverse, I didn't want it to all be, you know, like um, women my age. I wanted it to be, you know, different ages and different stories. But yeah, but I think I chose, I think I chose the, the heaviest ones that really blew my mind you know, that, that really had something new to, to, to tell me. And, and part of it was, I'm a huge advocate of therapy and this therapist saved my life in so many ways, you know, addictions and he helped me get, you know, triple my income and fix my career and get books and, and definitely helped me marry a fantastic husband. So I didn't want to write a book that just was negative about therapy, you know, and, and there's a former student in there who had a complicated relationship with, and I didn't want to, say anything negative about her. So I think part of the reason it took me so long to finish and to uh, publish is that I had to wait until I thought um, there was wisdom and inspiration to share and that it, you know, that I had something that would do good in the world. So that might be why it took so long. Yeah. It's like I said, it's so powerful. What did you, can, can you encapsulate it? What you learned after going on this journey and doing all this research? What did you learn about forgiveness? Um, well, one of the things I learned is that there's sort of this billion dollar forgiveness industry that promotes radical forgiving everybody everything. And that's bullshit. So don't forgive everybody everything. There's not a forgiving blanket. I actually just recently wrote a piece for Newsday about when you should not forgive and there are many scenarios where you shouldn't forgive, especially if you're not ready to, if someone's pushing you to do it, if you were sexually abused. A lot of times it's, you know, men push forgiveness and you should get over it on women, you know, when they're when they're not ready to or they don't feel it, you know, genocides. And, you know, I don't know that there's, I've never met a survivor of genocide or a Holocaust that is going to forgive their oppressor. You know, so I think, first of all, I learned... 
it's very nuanced. Every hurt, every story, every person, um, you know, so, so number one, don't forgive everybody everything. One thing that interests me was when I was trying to analyze who was able to forgive offenses that weren't atoned, what interests me was the people who were able to forgive and move on the best, it seemed to me, were people who were very content with their present life. And so, for example, if somebody was happy in work and love, they were much more able to leave something in the past and move on. If someone was not happy in their current day or couldn't get what they want, they were much more likely to cling to an eternal vendetta from something that happened to their past. And that was, I thought that was illuminating and helpful because taking, you know, as the Holocaust survivor who was a psycho therapist said, taking baby steps to get what you want in present tense, um, is a, that's a really good way to start. So, so that was interesting to me. And, and it actually made me realize that there were things that weren't going right in my present day life that were making it harder for me to forgive. I also learned the, the importance of a good apology. You know, in the, the, my book is The Forgiveness Store, How to Find the Perfect Apology. There really is a perfect apology. And there's a lot of sucky apologies. In fact, there's these people that do, there's these two women who do um, Sorry Watch on Twitter. And it's a blog of like weaselly defective apologies and, you know, in, in politics and in, in public life. And there's, there's a lot of ways you could screw up an apology. So I learned that there's, there's a way to give a good apology. And I now give much better apologies. Um, I also learned, and I did a piece for the New York Times on this, there is a way that you could make it more likely that you will get the apology that you want from somebody. Really? What is that? Well, so, okay. So some ways that you could get the apology that you want. Well, first of all, you can't expect people to read your mind. So if somebody has upset you um, or you think you're owed an apology, you absolutely have every right to let them know. And, and I'm not saying his, don't be hysterical, but you have every right to whether it's write them a letter, write them an email or tell them in person, listen, this thing, the specific thing that you did really hurt me. And I feel like I'm owed an apology. And there's, there's a very extreme, amazing example I give, which is Deborah Copigan, who's a terrific uh, writer, book author. She wrote a letter to a man in college who raped her. And she talked about how long it took her to get over and how it still haunts her. And uh, she sent it to him. And he immediately wrote back, apologizing profusely, saying that he was drunk and had blacked out and he didn't even remember it. And he's been sober for a long time. And she wrote this gorgeous piece in the Atlantic about it, but she felt so liberated having said what she needed and asked for it and going for it and getting it was just a very liberating experience for her. So I thought that was really interesting. And then um, my former therapist, Patty Gross said, instead of overreacting, a really good thing to do to start is to calmly ask questions and to clarify information, because sometimes when you feel really hurt, there's a misunderstanding. And there's an example that I used, hilariously, they took this out of the New York Times piece, but the example I used was that I felt that it was a personal affront when my father voted for Donald Trump, because I'm a liberal and feminist, and he knew that I hated him, and I felt like the, the racist slurs just made me crazy and the sexism. So, but instead of fighting or being aggressive with my dad and just in a very calm, neutral voice, I said, could I just ask you to explain to me why, you know, like what about him um, made you vote for him? And what he wound up telling me was that my father grew up poor 
And he worked 50 hour weeks for 50 years and became very successful. And the inheritance tax was huge on his mind. He was, he was in his 80s. He was sick. And he just said, I want every hard-earned cent that I, you know, that, that I spent so many years breaking my back over, I want it all to go to you and your brothers and not the government. Mm. So what's really interesting wow. is that I had a misconception that it was somehow slighting me when by asking for added information in a very calm voice, what I found was the opposite. I found that he was actually thinking about me and my brothers up foremost. That was the most important thing in his head. That doesn't mean we agreed with his decision, but it was extremely illuminating to hear him say that. Wow. Yeah, there was another story that I love too, which is that there was a um, Connecticut psychiatrist, Vatsal Thakur, who um, actually uh, is from a Hindu background, and he tried to get me to see a bigger overview. And he said, there, there's a mystery that you can't see in this falling out that I had with my mentor. Um, and he gave me a metaphor and he said a commuter was enraged when a woman in an SUV stopped abruptly to get something in the back seat, almost causing an accident. And the man was um, enraged and honking his horn, but he didn't know that the driver's infant was choking. So, you know, there's there's this element where sometimes instead of malice, if you understand that's a mystery and if it's someone that's close to you, hurts you, sometimes there's things that you can't see. And if you open up your mind to either try to figure out what it is or to ask them, that solves a lot of issues. I have to say that it wasn't until reading your book that I even asked myself the question whether or not I forgave the men who had abused me. And when I was thinking about it, I thought, well, I don't feel like I'm holding on to rage or or wanting something from them. I mean, of course, they're all dead. <laughs> but it made me think also about how there can be some kinds of, I guess, satisfaction or justice in the fact that I, I'm doing work helping other survivors. There's something in there about um, maybe not needing it directly from them, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But I know that I know that you've got some tips for us in terms of well, how first, to. Wait, if you don't mind, let me just let yeah. me with domestic abusers because I used in this piece for Newsday. I used some quotes. The concept of forgiveness can be weaponized to fact track redemption at the expense of victims' healing and justice. Wrote British artist Sophie King. It can be a tool used to make men's life easier and allow them to control when women should get over crimes they've committed and negate their victims' feelings. Indeed, many traumatized people, despite being victimized, are blamed for their trauma, according to therapist Anastasia Pollack, who specializes in treating incest and child abuse. She tells patients, you don't have to forgive to move on. So one of the things I found is there's several people, including the Holocaust survivor, um, Manny Mandel, who never forgave the Nazis for what they did, even though German, Germany did issue a, an apology to the Jews couple interesting things I learned from him. Number one, the reparations helped more than the apology because the fact that the German government gave his father money to um, continually to move on and to be able to put their lives back together was huge. So sometimes what's interesting is the reparation means more than the apology. And the other thing was that Manny thrived out of spite. 
So by surviving and doing well in life and having kids and grandkids, it was an up, you know, up yours Hitler kind of um, attitude. And that actually intrigued me. And there were a few people who, who thrived out of spite. So I'm not necessarily saying you have to hold a grudge, but there are definitely there are definitely times when you're not ready or you don't feel compelled to forgive someone who didn't apologize or never came clean or might have done it to other people or, um, you know, never, never paid reparations, never understood, you know, acted selfishly, never understood how much they hurt people. You're not obligated to forgive and your healing and recovery is not dependent on you forgiving. Right. I find that interesting. Yeah. I mean, I grew up on reparations. Reparations were a huge part of our, our monthly income actually. And it was, um, I don't know really how it affected my mother in terms of her relationship with, with the Germans, but I know that my mother also survived because out of spite. My mother said that when she was in the concentration camps that she held on to see the Germans lose the war. She wanted to see them suffer, basically not just to have the this balance, but she wanted to see them lose. And that is what allowed her to hold on despite all this disease and everything. So I, I, I really, I right. really, when I was reading that, I really took it to heart. Yeah, the thing about reparations is, you know, I mentioned that people who are able to feel content in their work and their and their love life and what's going on in present tense are it's easier for them to let go of the past. So the people who were in poverty or who were single and alone or who didn't have jobs that they liked or felt rejected, um, never found love again, those people found it much, much harder to um, move on from the past. So the great thing about reparations, and it's a good thing to remember just in terms of offering it to people that you've hurt to to ally suffering, but um, the reparations in order to Reparations that help somebody have a better life and feel more comfortable physically and emotionally and to move on are really important. I'll just give you a very small example. Because a lot of people say, well, I'm not a government. How could I give a reparation to somebody? Or, you know, I don't have a million dollars to pay them kind of thing. But so um, there was somebody, there was a close friend who asked me to read her memoir about surviving cancer. And at the time I was going through this bad time with my therapist, but also I was really busy. And I, I guess I blew her off in a way I didn't mean to be dismissive, but I just, it's very, you know, a lot of people ask me to read 500 page manuscripts. I just don't have time, but I did it in an insensitive way. And she stopped talking to me. So after the forgiveness tour, when I saw, after I received a great apology, I realized I want to be able to do that. And I went on a um, forgiveness binge myself. And when I apologized to her, I not only said, I'm sorry, I should have read the manuscript. I was insensitive. I didn't mean to, but I said, um, you know, I have a writing group and I'm teaching a new class. Um, I would be honored if you would come and read some of your pages there so I could help you. And I remember she said, um, I'd love to Susie, which was my old childhood nickname. So I thought, okay, I'm in again. But, but you know, so something as minor as that, and she did, and she did, and she's, she's written some beautiful work. So something like that, you know, where if you heard somebody, instead of just saying, I'm sorry, is there a reparation? Is there something you could do to fix what you did wrong? I think is a really, that's a really good way to go. Definitely. So let's move into the tips and I'm going to just have it focused around partners, although I know people can extrapolate and use this for, for all their relationships, because of course, relationships have lots of ups and downs. And I know from my own marriage that 
pissing somebody off and apologizing is something that is uh, an ongoing, ongoing process, ongoing part of, of our, our uh, relationship. We're not alone. So how do you find this forgiveness, let's say, if you're not able to get an apology and any other wisdom you might have? So what are your three tips, Sue? Okay. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm actually um, writing something about this. So the first thing that I find is um, the first advice is don't be an island. So if something is bothering you about your relationship um, before you lash out or before you screw it up, seek help. So I've been very blessed um, in my life to have mentors and teachers and, and um, happily married couples, my parents who are married for 64 years and, um, and therapists, sex therapists, you know, um, relationship therapists. So I would say reach out and ask advice because sometimes you can get really good advice. And I'll tell you advice that I've gotten from my therapist that really helped me a lot. One of them was you can be very right and very alone. You know, so even if you're pissed at someone at your lover or your spouse and you think they owe you an apology, you know, it's right now it's the pandemic. It's, you know, it's a rough time. There's a lot of people having a really rough time alone. So to stand on ceremony, interestingly, hurts you more than anyone. So so I think about that. And the other advice that my um, Patty Gross, my first therapist, told me that I have in my book, Five Men Who Broke My Heart, is love doesn't make you happy. Make yourself happy. Then you'll find love. So if you're stomping around angry at somebody and they're ruining your life and they're ruining your day and they're you're really upset, you're giving them too much power to control your emotions, your brain and your heart. So do something, walk away, do something to make yourself happy, um, whether it's therapy or exercise or uh, being with a mentor or, um, you know, writing or, um, you know, anything, do something to make yourself happy. And quite often, um, by doing that, you give the other person room and space to come back and um, apologize. Um, here's a minor one in terms of breaking the ice. So sometimes if you're, even if you're really pissed off, instead of coming at someone with what you're pissed at, my shrink once said to me, when, you're, when your husband comes home, just say something nice, right? When he walks in the door, even if you're mad. So, so I remember once with my husband, I was mad at him or something, but he came home. And instead of launching into something negative, I just looked at him and I said, that's a nice shirt. And he looked at me and he said, oh, you like this? You like this? I got this so And it was so fascinating. It changed the color of the room. It's like, oh, yeah, you always did like how I look in green. And he was like standing taller. And it was sort of fascinating that if he would have come home and I would have immediately said, you know, why did you do this? And yell at him, it, it would have destroyed the mood for the whole day. But so something as minor as compliments. You know, and, and, and it sounds stupid, but, you know, thanks for doing the laundry. Mm -hmm. Thank you for getting the newspaper for me. You know, like, like, like say something kind first. And then I think sometimes that opens it up for a, um, you know, for, for, for a longer, better tete-a-tete about what's bothering you. And of course, what a lot of therapists say is also, you know, you never want to say to someone, you know, you're an asshole for doing this. What you want to say is it hurt my feelings when you did this. You know, so if you could make yourself vulnerable first. Oh, here's one last trick that I found, which is if you could ever apologize for something you did yourself, um, sometimes that opens the floodgates. You wow. Know? So, yeah, and I have a couple examples where I apologize for something that I did, and then that really um, allowed us to get much more intimate. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, mm -hmm. so, so, you know, so the basic deal is don't be a hothead. You know, don't, don't, uh, 
um, don't have unrealistic expectations that the human being that you're with is going to be perfect and not make mistakes. Um, and don't read their, you know, you can't read their mind. Ask them what was going on. I love that. The healing part in my, for this podcast and the vlog, it's, it's very general, but it does imply that people are, are moving back toward some sort of wholeness individually or couples. Yeah, and no. I, I think this advice is just, is so apt and, and so helpful. There was one thing that, um, that I really like when I talk about um, getting help. And what happens is that there is a, um, there's a rabbi um, in Michigan that I really like, Rabbi Joseph Krakoff, and he does hospice work. And what he says is at the end of life, he asks all relatives to recite a prayer together. And the prayer is, you are forgiven, I forgive you, please forgive me, I love you. Hmm. Kind of fascinating how many times somebody's estranged or there's things that are unsaid, and just by saying that prayer together, it heals people. That's so, beautiful. And so even if, you know, even if you're ambivalent, like you can be ambivalent and make a decision to say something kind. Mm-hmm. You know, and it just, what's interesting is that you think you're doing it for someone else, but the truth is you're really doing it for yourself. Right. Definitely. Well, thank you so much, Sue. This has been such a great conversation and so many nuggets. And I can't wait to have people hear it. I love the pleasure plan. And we'll have to figure out, now that I'm figuring out online events, let's figure out a Zoom event together. Awesome. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And thank you so much again for the forgiveness tour. And uh, I'll have links below where you can get a copy of it. Thank you so All much. Right. Thank you, Sister Piero. Bye. See you soon.